Wow. In his long, distinguished, provocative, and often puckish career, Chris Skinner has nailed more predictions about financial services than an entire room full of consultants. Now he's turned his focus to purpose-driven banking and has some exciting views into the future. He offers them to us firsthand today on Dave and Darm Demystify and also answers the question on everyone's mind. Just who is Captain Cake? From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Dave and Darm Demystify Show. And it's our great, great, great pleasure to have Chris Skinner on the show. Most everyone's going to know Chris, so I don't think he needs much of an introduction. But the area that we want to really demystify today is around purpose-driven banking. So Chris, why don't you introduce yourself for the minority of people that might not know you? And then, you know, let's get into the topic of purpose-driven banks. Well, nice to meet you, Dave and Don, during this unusual moment in time and also your audience. I've been stuck in Poland for over a year everyone always says why are you in Poland and then I go I've got a Polish wife and it kind of makes sense <laughs> I blog every single day at the finance.com 16 books lots of presentations and I'm also working with a lot of the fintech startups like Moven, Meniger, 11FS I'm pretty well known across the community as being someone who has a bit of foresight I think your track record in predictions speaks for itself right is there a quick summary you can give? <laughs> You've done so um, many. Well, I wrote something on the blog in December, What's the Future All About? And I purely listed some of the things that I predicted years ago. And the fact that I've been blogging and writing for so long means that I have the ability to track my record and prove some of the points I raised. So back in the 1990s, I was saying that telecoms and technology would become completely integrated with financial services, such that technology and telecommunications companies would be buying banks and vice versa, which is kind of coming true. I was saying back at the end of the 2000s that banking as a service, where we built our own bank using APIs and cloud, would be predominant, which has come true. I was writing about Bitcoin in 2011, which is pretty early by most standards, and said that blockchain would take a long time to come to mainstream markets that was in 2015, and I'm still writing about that same theme today because when I look at blockchain in implementation and actuality, it's got a huge challenge, which is primarily around its best use cases are ones where government, industry, financial services and commerce work together in agreement, and it's very hard to get those four different <laughs> communities to work together in agreement. I was saying that the whole open banking market would be here a decade ago. I could go on. 
one of the big things actually that I've just mentioned specifically is I did say China is the country to watch the most for innovation. And I was saying that in 2005, and I got thrown out of a conference in America because they just said that I'm doing <laughs> an advert for Chinese communism, which I wasn't. I was just saying the biggest banks in the world will all be Chinese, and today they are. Wow. Having been to Shenzhen last year, I mean, I can see that that's a prediction that came true rather rapidly. And, you know, I think China is just sort of incredible in terms of what's kind of going on there. And I think will dominate the financial scene for many, many decades to come. And Shenzhen in particular is a place to go and research if you haven't been to China, because 40 years ago, it's just a fishing village with a few hundred thousand people living there. And today it's one of the top tier one cities of China with over 20 million people living there. And the commerce in that sector is incredible. So my last book, Doing Digital, I did a case study on China Merchants Bank, which is one of the big success stories in China as a technology-first bank. But they only really emerged in the 1980s. And that is the story of China. You know, It wasn't until the 80s, 90s that they started to have the innovation and technology implementation that today is making them a leading force in the world. I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, we met with Ping An and HSBC was their largest shareholder and now they're the largest shareholder in HSBC. You know, the role reversal has been extraordinary and a lot of that's been driven by their focus on technology and transformation. So it's fascinating. My background being African and Indian, what do you think about India, you know, and their transformation? Well, I've got a lot of friends who've got a background of coming from India through Kenya to UK or through Africa to UK. And India, I think, is another fascinating country in terms of the tectonic shift of technology that's changing that nation. So the Aadhaar Digital Identity Program, the India Stack, the Unified Payments Interface, all of those developments have led to, in particular, Google actually becoming very successful in the continent. And it's interesting that I was just tweeting the other day about the the head of Google Payments retiring and realized that he came from India, as do a lot of the leading executives of the world. So India, I think, could be a lot more successful if it wasn't so insular. I think the government makes it difficult for foreign companies and foreign investors to work in India. And the same is true in China to an extent, but I think China's more open. And India is opening, which is why Google's been successful there. But I think it needs to be more embracing of global trade and the global community. Just as a recommendation, I don't know if you can get this on Amazon in most countries, but when I came through India a few years ago, I picked up a book called If God Was a Banker. Have you read that one, Don? No, I have not even heard of it. It's a fantastic and funny book. It's about two MBA students in the 1980s in India who go and work for Citibank in their offshore operations. And one eventually ends up moving to America and the other ends up becoming a criminal. (laughs) (laughs) Most bankers are criminals anyway. But the thing I remember the most is that they talked about, and it's a true story because the guy who wrote the story did work for Citibank. You know, they came through the banking system in offshore operations, now leaders of the world's banks. But the comment made, and it stuck with me, is... When the American was sent to run Citibank operations in India, it was because he was a failure in the 1980s. These days, if you were running Citibank India, you would be a success. Yeah, yeah. What a turnaround. 
now more and more you know we've got esg and we've got these other movements outside of that there seems to be not just in banking but just generally a heightened awareness that you know companies need to exist and be profitable but be doing some greater good as well right and i'm keen to hear your thoughts on that and i guess you know get a little bit of insight of what you're writing about next i like to think that business should stand for something that's good for society and good for the planet or they'll fall down and that's something that's been bubbling away in my mind for many years in fact going back to the 1990s i talked a lot about community currencies and how we should be using our investments for the long term health and wealth of the planet not just for quarterly returns on investment to shareholders and i think the shareholder capitalism milton friedman economic structure is completely broken and many of us are realizing that primarily for a number of pressure points one is digital transformation which is changing the nature and structure of business and business models and products and services clearly demonstrated in this pandemic but my favorite example right now is imagine building a bank in whatever country you live in that had to service customers on mars you know that's the bank business model we have to build today that's what digital transformation really means but more than that it's the greta thunberg and david attenborough you know climate emergency rally call to say we won't have a planet in a few decades unless we change our ways you know we'll all have to move to mars and the reason for that is because banks fund fossil fuel companies and companies that damage the planet a stunning statistic is that 71% of all the greenhouse gas emissions that have been emitted in the past 30 years came from just 100 companies and so if we can get the banks to change the investments in those companies and we change and protect our planet in the future far more quickly and easily but another part of it is inclusion and diversity and inequality the 1% versus the 99% the issues of 2008 where people clearly could see banks having their cake and eating it and since then all the issues that have emerged within the banking system from libor interest rates through to in the uk ppi personal payments insurance protection through to wells fargo account openings australian companies in the financial system charging dead customers premiums for advice they never got you know it's something where the moral compass was lost and that has to be brought back and i guess the end of day and there's lots of other things i could touch on but it's around stakeholder capitalism rather than shareholder capitalism which is where we're moving towards in this decade a lot of it driven by gen z and millennials and the i gen you know the new generation all raised and born on the internet because the thing about the internet is it is completely transparent if you're doing something wrong and if you don't have a good purpose then you can be discovered and highlighted really quickly as doing bad doing evil and this virality and inconnectivity means that banks and business won't survive unless they have a good purpose it's interesting because i think it is very important but then you've got these weird things like for example bitcoin i mean the electricity bill for bitcoin mining around the world is larger than the whole of argentina so bitcoin is consuming all this energy and there is an outcry but it's not a very loud outcry so what are your thoughts on that well the naysayers like to throw some mud at bitcoin and hope it sticks the fact is 
you know, just the other day, Wired published something that said one small tweak in the cryptocurrency structure would get rid of all of the energy issues tomorrow. And I think that's something that I've lived with throughout my whole career. There are technologies that clearly are going to dominate in the future. But the question is, when is the right time for those technologies to dominate? And we often overestimate the speed at which they will take over, and we underestimate the impact. A good example is blockchain. Blockchain still hasn't been implemented effectively, even after over a decade since Satoshi Nakamoto's paper came out. But it will dominate at some point because it makes absolute sense for the use cases around digital identity, transparency, and the reduction of cost in decentralizing structures and sharing ledgers, which means at some point, yes, it will take over. It's just a question of when. And a good example of these sorts of things is the use of biometrics. Because of the smartphone, we're now moving very rapidly to everybody accepting the use of face ID and touch ID and biometrics in payments and finance. And yet we were talking about that 30 years ago. It's taken a long time to emerge as something that's actually usable and mainstream. We talked 30 years ago around the idea of people making payments and accessing banking anytime, anywhere. But it took the smartphone and cloud computing for that to bring it to the mainstream. So I don't know whether it's Bitcoin, because I'm not sure whether I believe in Bitcoin. But what I believe in is the middle ground, which is there are those who say cryptocurrency is the future. There are those who say it has no future. In my view, it's doing pretty well. So I'm sitting in the middle ground saying, I'm pretty sure it will have a future. I just don't know which one will be the future. I saw your tweet on that, the small technological change kind of having such an impact. So let's hope that that kind of gets done. Going back to purpose-led banking, there's a sort of groundswelling of opinion around it. And yet I sort of feel like the finance industry is still lagging a bit in terms of adopting these practices in a very real way. What's your thoughts on that? I've been accused when I talked about purpose-driven banking by some readers and listeners of talking about the Hallelujah Bank, which is like really you know noteworthy. But Chris, it ain't going to happen because end of day, we all have to focus on return to shareholder and our investors. And I said, well, actually, it's interesting in that if you look at businesses that do focus on clear purpose, values, culture, and society, community, planet, typically those businesses have outperformed those that don't. Like a good chunk. Absolutely. And a lot of that's to do with if you have a clear purpose and communicate that well, then customers and employees are attracted to that company for their purpose. If you don't have one, then you're just some faceless organization. Having said that, you know, the Cooperative Bank in Britain, for example, had an ethical banking stance for years and yet never broke out into being a hugely successful bank. Why would that be? Well, the question I would bring it back to is a bit like biometrics and payments by phone. I think they were before their time in that space. And today, particularly with the younger generation, if you clearly articulate a purpose and values and culture that resonates for doing good for society and good for the planet, I think it's going to be successful. And part of what I just said, in fact, was inspired by when I did Digital Human and the case study on Ant Group and Alipay and Alibaba. And there was a poster in their office which did have Jack Ma saying, do good for society and good for the planet. 
that's one of the cultural backbones of that company, which really resonated. So again, you know, you might see a lot of the movement coming from India, China, Africa, not necessarily from America and Europe. You know, going back to what you've said before, it just makes common sense because when I worked in the bank, I remember, you know, the old boys network, the headline thing about shareholder value. Who were the shareholders? It was the guys at the top and the institutions, the guys doing the work like myself. You know, we had no link to that shareholder value per se. You got no axe to grind there, Dom, then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been in, you know, software companies where the thing is about being a billion dollar company and then a $10 billion company. But what does it actually mean to me? Right. And so the purpose side of it just makes sense because you're part of a bigger thing that says, well, I'm doing this because I'm cleaning up the planet or I'm giving people equal opportunities or I'm spreading the wealth amongst the people that actually need the money, et cetera. Right. What I am seeing though, is the walkers and the talkers, right. In the banking space, there are clearly people that want to be saying the right things but not backing it up with actions. Without naming names, some of the digital banks, one is actually making it easier for people without addresses to onboard, right? And the other is saying, we want to do great things, but doing nothing about helping them out, right? So like you say, everything's becoming more and more transparent and it's going beyond now for the digital banks, it's definitely going beyond that first lick of paint, which was like we're, you know, cool and digital and the cards nicely colored etc and now it's coming to what is this bank about when do you think that will become mainstream because i don't feel that's the norm right now no it's not the norm right now and i guess the response would be if you got an extra one percent interest on your savings or a one percent lower loan every year from a company that was behaving badly would you go to that company and that's where the rubber hits the road it's really around our own societal behaviors and trends. But what irritates me immensely is corporate social responsibility, CSR, and the environmental sustainability and government, CSG, principles have become a marketing thing for so many companies in general commerce, as well as in the financial community. And when you see companies showing their ESG and CSR credentials, and the next thing you see is that they have completely broken the planet. And if that's not reported, it's really annoying. You know, And I could name companies, BlackRock, Barclays and others, that are in that space where the two executives making these statements of commitment to ESG and CSR, but the organisation is rotten through and through when you look at actually what they're doing on the ground. Will customers recognise that? Will they change institutions because of that? Right now, no. But if I can see this transparently through the network, I don't see why others aren't. And I think when they do see it transparently through the network, at some point it will impact. That's absolutely right. Are there other examples that you see where there's some very tangible things that companies can be doing, which go beyond the hyperbole into demonstrating purpose and value? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the new book project that I'm working on is titled at the moment, Digital for Good. And what I've tried to do is to identify companies and individuals that I believe are demonstrating clear purpose and clear commitment to being zero carbon emission, carbon neutral or carbon negative. But more than that, inclusive, both from a diversity viewpoint, but also a financial inclusion viewpoint. 
and demonstrating the values that I've been discussing. Probably about 30 different companies that are contributing to the book, and each company will contribute a chapter on their perspective around those themes. What I've tried to do is make sure that those companies are from a global community, so all of the continents of the world are represented in the book. It's not just coming from UK and Europe, it's coming from China and Africa and India and the Islamic world and the Latin American world. I've no idea what the chapters will be, to be honest, because I haven't got them yet, but a couple of illustrations that I have received. There's a bank in Finland that has a algorithm that works out every time you use your bank, the carbon index was originally just for a small community related to renewal of the Baltic Sea, but it's now used by over 100 million people worldwide because they've white-labeled it and given it to others to use. There's a bank in South Africa, Discover Bank, that I interviewed the chief executive the other day, and his mission since he founded the company, Discover Bank, you have to have health and wealth. So the financial system should focus upon you being healthy and wealthy, not just wealthy. And his whole mission and purpose is around creating financial services that train you to do better for your own vitality. And so they measure your fitness as part of their program of how the bank operates, the financial service operates. The health of the individual and the health of our seas, waters and planet just from those two illustrations, which Ireland's Bank in Finland and Discover Bank South Africa are good illustrations of where I'm coming from today. Just on this topic, I watched a really entertaining presentation by Dr. Ram Prasad, I think his name was, on happiness. And basically what he was saying is that whilst lots of people are working out their purpose, the actual end purpose of life really is just to be happy. So I guess I'm going to ask you, do you think there'll be a happy bank? Or is there one already? I'm sure there is. It's dope. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just one final thing. I know we are kind of run out of time. I'm quite keen also to hear a little bit about your new project, which has nothing to do with banking. (laughs) Ah, you mean Captain Cake? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Which I also discovered is dope. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I didn't know that when I was writing it. So well, there was a famous Chris Morris program about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've got two little boys, five years old, next week, twins. I was getting fed up with the stories I was reading them because they weren't exciting enough. And at the same time, the exciting stories are a little bit more mature than their age, Batman, Spider-Man. So I sat down one evening and just made up some stories about Captain Cake and the Candy Crew with Lieutenant Chocolate sergeant jelly and private potato and it's become a series of seven books which first book comes out in the summer fantastic captaincake.com yeah we'll definitely check that out and i haven't read all of the other 16 books i've read three of your digital books i think i wouldn't bother most of them (laughs) but i think i might switch to captain cake now i've had enough digital to sweetly go where no sweet has gone before (laughs) fantastic Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on here, Chris. And it's been, you know, really insightful to hear your views on where things are going from a purpose-driven perspective. And no doubt you're going to be right again in the future. So all eyes are on you and all ears should be on you. 
Thanks, Chris, so much. Thanks, Dave and Don. Nice to be here. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Don Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.